Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi everyone and welcome back to Big Fish in the Talent Pool for Episode 7. In this episode, I'm talking with Burson by Deloitte's Robin Erickson, who has spent most of her career analyzing what the rest of us in talent professions do every day. And since we do so much work with our People Results clients in the talent space, I'm a huge fan of Robin's work. I wanted her to be a big fish guest because I was curious about what leads someone into a career crunching and interpreting talent data. As it turns out, Robin has an extremely interesting background, having grown up in the Middle East as a child of medical missionaries. She has multiple advanced degrees, including a PhD and two masters, one in theological studies and another in communications, and it gets even more interesting from there. As a bonus, Robin also shared with me some of the latest findings from her team's high-impact talent acquisition research. Spoiler alert, there are four levels of TA maturity and only 13% of companies qualify for the top tier. Ouch, but we're working on it, right? Okay, well, here comes Robin. Enjoy. So we are here with Robin Erickson of Deloitte, and uh, I'm really excited for today because we have a really unique opportunity to talk to Robin about her super interesting background and what she brings to Deloitte, and specifically the Burson by Deloitte uh, body of knowledge that we have all uh, seen develop over the last couple of years and taken advantage of in many cases, and she is the one of the key research brains behind all the good data that we're able to access. So we're really excited to be able to talk to her about what makes her tick, where she comes from, how she landed in this kind of a role, and um, I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. What I will say as uh, context, though, is that uh, Robin does a lot of interviews, but she hardly ever talks about things other than the work, the, the research that she does. And of course, those who are regular listeners to my podcast know that I'm all about shining a light on who is in leadership roles and what makes them who they are, where they came from. So we'll kind of get maybe a little more personal than what Robin is used to, but that's okay. She's she's going to roll with it, she told me. so Definitely. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so that's Robin's voice. Now you know who she is. Um, and Robin, welcome to the Big Fish in the Talent Pool podcast. Thank you so much, Erin. I'm glad to be here. All right. Well, let's get started. So first of all, um, just so the listeners understand the scope of your role uh, and especially how it developed within Deloitte because you were at Deloitte before Josh Burson came. That's Am I right. So, yes. so tell us, first of all, what's the scope of your role and then we'll go backwards. Okay. So as an analyst at Burson at Deloitte, I write research that our members have access to. I do surveys. I do studies. I talk a lot to talent acquisition executives and other HR leaders about what's happening in their organizations and about 
being a talent acquisition leader. So someone asked me today, do I travel all the time? And I said, no, I don't travel all the time, but it's my 17th trip since January. Okay. So That's <laughs> tra- pretty close to I, all the time. I travel a lot, <laughs> um, but I do have to do the research as well. So, But that is my job. I'm a research analyst at Burson, and Deloitte acquired Burson in 2013. And so I'm happy to tell you about my career up until this point. Yeah. But... Uh, it's this is actually it's my vocation it's not just my job uh-huh. I really love what I'm doing cool. as an analyst okay so this is the holy grail because everybody wants to love what they do and do what they love and it sounds like you've landed there so yes. that's what we want to dig into that's yes. super interesting all right so but but dial back a little bit in terms of what makes you who you are you have uh, multiple degrees including a PhD an MS an MA uh, and and wow, there's a, a, a couple of different disciplines: uh, theological studies, communications, org communications. Yikes! So tell us <laughs> about how that came to be. So it is definitely uh, my path is not one that you will probably ever see again. I actually left the U.S. when I was seven years old. I was born in Chicago to American parents, and um, when I was seven years old, we moved overseas. My father is a surgeon, and. My parents were medical missionaries, and so cool. I basically grew up in the Middle East. Wow. And so I literally, believe this or not, I went from the United Arab Emirates uh-huh. uh, to the University of Chicago. Wow. And talk about culture shock. Yeah. And so hmm. that was a very interesting uh, path, right? Most yeah. people don't come straight from the desert to right. a very liberal, liberal arts university like the University of Chicago. Right. And because my background was overseas and we didn't have the internet, mm-hmm. I didn't know about all the different types of professions and careers. And I have always been a little bit motivated. I finished college in three years, and so I didn't actually think about going to their career uh, career center. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know what I was going to do when I finished college. And a friend of mine knew about my interest in, well, let me rephrase that. The first interesting thing about me is the fact that I grew up overseas. Second, I actually had three majors at the University of Chicago. I changed my major every year. Okay. Uh, Landed on Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations, which is the study of Arabic. Right. And thought, you know, I really don't want, at the time, the only jobs were as a lower level person in an embassy. Yeah. Or possibly as a translator. Yep, or Mm -hmm. CIA. So I went on and went to Northern Baptist Theological Seminary where mm-hmm. I did a master's degree in theological studies mm-hmm. and decided there that I didn't want to be a minister. So I just did a master's of arts in theological studies. Okay. But it's where I found my faith instead mm-hmm. of the faith of my parents that I grew up okay. with. So it was a very great way to end my college quote unquote years uh, with that academic background. But then I didn't know about jobs. And so literally, I looked for a job that took advantage of my secretarial skills. Okay. Was Which off. it's very common for women, especially in the 90s. 80s, exactly. 90s. No, no, yeah. this was mm-hmm. in the yeah. this was in the early 90s and was hired by McKinsey mm-hmm. to do graphic design work for them because this was before PowerPoint. Right. So yes, this ages me, but they were hiring really smart people to do their graphic design work because the charts and the graphs were complicated yeah. that McKinsey was creating. And thanks to a partner that I worked with there, he said, you know, Robin, you really, you, you can't stay as a graphic designer. You're, you're much too bright for that. You need to go to some of these other companies. Have you seen what color is my parachute? 
Oh, the book. The, the book. classic book. The classic book. And I hadn't. Nobody had ever had a career Richard conversation with Bowles, me. right? I don't right. even remember. I, I just remember the cover yeah. of the book with yeah. this very bright parachute. Right. And with his encouragement, I actually applied for another position within McKinsey as a communication specialist. And I was the first person who was promoted from an administrative position within McKinsey to a professional position Fantastic. as a communication specialist. Wow. In part because I had a master's degree okay. and they didn't care that it was in theology. Okay. They just, one okay. of the requirements for the role was a master of arts. Smart. Or, and, and, and to and have you, a master it, it of arts. One exactly. touch point of their evidence that you were smart. Yes. So, yeah. Very so cool. uh, I also had to pass a logic test. Okay. <laughs> so it wasn't the only one, but. Good. So I worked as a communication specialist at McKinsey, mm -hmm. and then one of the uh, former senior managers had moved to New York. It was mm -hmm. during the dot-com boom, right. and she asked me if I wanted to go to New York to join a startup firm. Yeah. Healthcare consulting started by someone who used to be at McKinsey, and so I did. Mm -hmm. And six months later, they sold the company to uh, a big conglomerate and they got rid of all of the middle management. So both myself and my boss were laid uh -huh. off. Uh -huh. I then went to another small consulting firm in New York mm -hmm. where uh, I realized after about a year that I had, I fit better within larger organizations. And right. so I applied for and got a job at Ernst & Young uh -huh. in New York City. Great. And the first job I had there was helping people to learn the Minto Pyramid Principle. Uh -huh which had been started at McKinsey by a woman by the name of Barbara Minto. Uh -huh. And I had had background there, again, so we're going back now to my initial career, which you could say you know, was rather ignominious, I think that's how you say that, uh -huh. uh, doing graphic design work. But because I'd been at McKinsey, I, I was attractive to Ernst right. & Young at the time. Right. So that was where I became a management consultant mm -hmm. and spent quite a few years at Ernst & Young until they sold their consulting division to Capgemini. Uh -huh. So I was part of the, you know, of the sale. Mm -hmm. I moved, you know, lock, stock, and computer uh -huh. all the way over to Capgemini and uh, was a management consultant there and moved back to Chicago. So I had been in Chicago, had then moved to New York for four years and then moved back to Chicago, but realized that uh, I didn't have any education in my field. So I went to Northwestern, where they have a Master of Science in Communication program, mm -hmm. and it's I a like great to great program. I like to think of that it as an MBA one. Yeah. without the finance. Yes, that's so what it is. It's yeah. basically what it was, yeah. and so I did that. And in early 2000, so I started in 2001, right after 9/11. And in okay. early 2002, I wrote about how poorly companies were treating their employees, yeah. and how there would be a massive resume tsunami after the recession ended because people were being treated so poorly. Yeah. The people who were remaining, in fact, people were actually being told you're lucky to have a job. Yeah. Right. And so I was writing about this and realized that there was no academic research on downsizing survivors other than survivor guilt. So I went back to Northwestern and got my PhD with the same professor and wrote about uh, the retention of downsizing survivors and how you can't treat people poorly during a recession or any other organizational change because they won't stay. Yeah. And so when I finished my PhD, I, uh, I thought maybe I'd be an instructor, uh, stay in the university sure. because you know my passions and consulting, the human capital aspects were not 
as important in many firms. Mm -hmm. And then I decided, well, maybe it would be more lucrative financially to be back in consulting and teach on the side. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And I interviewed at Deloitte. And when I interviewed with them, you know, I had a good background. I'd been in consulting for my whole career at that point. But they, I asked them if they did any work in retention. And was told no that they don't do any work in retention but that if I could build it and sell it and I could do it there at Deloitte and that was that really appealed to my entrepreneurial side mm -hmm. and so I spent about five and a half years as first a manager and then a specialist leader which is a senior manager but rather than being I was focused broadly that's why I had a, a different title of specialist leader I'm uh, sorry I was focused specifically uh -huh. <laughs> senior managers are focused broadly right. I was focused uh, in a much more uh, specialized area, and that was around talent. Okay. So after being really one of the early uh, consulting leaders focused on talent as a as a kind of a uh, topic. Right? So Deloitte was as actually very strong in talent. Yeah. We had a lot in talent leadership. I actually was part of the managing talent in a turbulent economy, which was during the 2008 recession. We yes. did surveys. And then Deloitte had Talent 2020, right. and then that has morphed into Deloitte's Global Human Capital Trends Report. And so I was part of that initially and working in Deloitte's Talent Center of Excellence. Uh, so I was incredibly blessed. I was well connected within the talent thought leadership at Deloitte. And uh, then was asked once uh, Deloitte bought Burson in 2013 whether or not I was interested in coming over to Burson mm -hmm. since I had both the academic degree and the consulting experience. So they folded all that in to the Burson brand then at that point. So they asked me if the I would like to. Oh, just you. Pers yeah, I was the only Got person okay. who moved over from Deloitte Consulting okay. to Burson. I wondered about that. I joined the other analysts that were there okay. and uh, they, they let me pick if I wanted to work on talent acquisition or learning uh -huh. and I picked talent acquisition because okay. I think talent acquisition is the other side of the coin from retention, mm -hmm. that what gets people in the door will also be what keeps them there or right. doesn't keep them there, depending on whether or not an organization lives up to its brand promises. Right. Okay. So for the last five years, that has been my focus, has been on talent acquisition primarily, and I've also done some work on employee engagement, some work on retention, uh, and we're actually starting to do some additional work on employee experience and oh, how cool. important that whole lifetime the, the idea that an employee is a colleague for life from the initial time that they're a candidate all the way to when they leave the organization and may or may not come back. Right. Okay, so where is, so luck favors the prepared and it sounds to me like you have been preparing for this kind of a role your entire Except <laughs> your I had no idea. Life. I had and, no idea it existed. And, uh, right, okay. I, so, so you just kind of followed what you were interested in and one and thing led chances. to another. And, and I took chances. Took chances because it. the easy part of the job would have been to not focus on retention and talent. Right. It would have been easier to focus on something that yeah. had more uh, supporters and you know bigger dollars to right. sell and at a, a consulting firm. Yes, mm -hmm. and a ready market. Uh, coming over to Burson was a risk that I took because it appealed to me. Yeah. It appealed to me to be able to do academically rigorous research, yep. but at the same time incorporate uh, we call what works, uh -huh. the practical experiences of what actually works in organizations. Okay. And so that's why I said, you know, it's not been a career ladder for me, it's very much been a career lattice, but yeah. when I think about where I started out, I never would have imagined getting here, and I'm just thrilled to be here and 
to be able to to do research and to do work that I love. Well, very cool. And I have listened to a number of your webinars, and I can tell you the passion comes through. Definitely does. As well as the um, the head for, for data and numbers, which of course we need more and more of because uh, we need to make sense of what's going on and stop uh, relying on our gut and go with what is actually data supported. So mm -hmm. it's, it's much needed by the talent acquisition, especially leadership community. So, um, so tell us about the work that you're doing. And sure. uh, you know, especially uh, some, some of the more recent projects you've been working on. What does that look like? Sure, so I'm most excited about the fact that in January, we published our high impact talent acquisition research. Mm -hmm. And a high impact study at Deloitte is where you do both quantitative and qualitative research. Mm -hmm. You do qualitative interviews to figure out what should be in your quantitative survey. Right. And then you do your survey and then you do statistical analyses to figure out the model that comes from it. Yeah. And we look at maturity. So mm -hmm. level one is the lowest level of maturity, level four is the highest. Mm -hmm. And so we created a talent acquisition maturity index. Then we take all the companies who participated in our research and align them. Yeah. And I'm thrilled to tell you that we had 1,220 respondents in our survey. They were global. Wow. 55% of those came from the Americas, which means 45%. Oh, so it's truly global. It's truly global. 45% came from EMEA and APAC. Okay. And I'm thrilled about that. I haven't had a chance yet to dig into the data to see if there are regional yeah. differences. Okay. But it's a truly global survey. We have organizations every size, from less than 100 to over 10,000, 25,000 people. Right. Uh, so we have a good cross-section. We also have a cross-section of industries. So when I tell people about the data and what we found, I really do feel like it's a good representation of what really strong and mature talent acquisition looks like. Right. And we were able to look at what are those companies at the highest levels of maturity doing mm -hmm. compared to what those companies at the lowest level of maturity. Right. So give us a few examples. So give you a few examples. Okay. So. Uh, that is uh, where the data gets really fun. Uh -huh. And uh, we had six findings. The first one was around uh, integrating the talent acquisition function into the whole organization. Mm -hmm. And we found that two-thirds of the high-performing talent acquisition functions are significantly integrated with talent management. So what happens if your talent acquisition function is not integrated? Your That means your data for your hiring and for your new employees is not connected to your data for learning or career or performance management. Right. And so you really can't talk about quality of hire right. if your talent acquisition data is not connected to your performance management data right. because you're only looking at quality of candidate or quality of new hire, which yeah. we define as anyone less than who's been in an organization for less than 12 months. Okay. And on your scale of, I think it's a four, four, four scale, level yeah, four scale. levels, yep. So the integration with talent management would be an evidence of level four. So or? what we found was that two thirds of those organizations at level four, yeah, are they reported significant that they were significantly integrated. Okay, with all over talent Got management. It. So you don't have to. It doesn't have to be a hundred percent. Correct. There are other factors. Correct, other but but that's that. compared but with the lower level levels. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yep. And uh, one of the, the best things an organization can do to increase that integration mm -hmm. is to create partnerships between the recruiters and the hiring managers. Of course. Best of all, it's free. Yeah. Um, right. Relationships are free. Mm -hmm. And the stronger those relationships are, the uh, stronger the talent acquisition function will be. Okay. Uh, okay. My favorite finding uh -huh. was around internal mobility. And 
Okay. Typically, you don't think about internal mobility and talent acquisition. Well, talent acquisition leaders do because they know that X percent, or most of them, have some idea of how much, how many of their roles they can expect to be filled internally. Correct. Versus externally, but but they're not it's connecting not with always. the career management team. Yes. And right. the learning and development team right. to actually create a talent marketplace. And in some organizations, the recruiters do nothing right. other than process through internal candidates. Okay. But. Gallup has shown that 51% of Americans have a foot out the door. It's a really high number. So think about it. Half of the people in your organization are either open to or looking yeah. for work somewhere else. Okay. What if you could take and keep those some of those people, not all of them, we're not looking for 100% retention, right. but what if you could keep some of those people by providing a career path that was actually integrated with the talent acquisition function so that recruiters could include internal candidates in their slates right. and connected with learning and development so that if someone applies for a job and they're not ready for it, yeah. they know what they could do to improve their skills and be considered another time right. and connected then with that career management that people have clear career paths and they know where they're going and they know how to get there. Right. Some people have said it's easier to find a job within their organizations if they quit. Yes, and right. then get rehired. Because all of a sudden, there's activity around mm -hmm. that, <laughs> and get rehired. So honestly, 51%, I would have expected higher. I mean, it kind of all depends on how the question is phrased, right. but you know, depending on the demographic and Correct. who you talk to and geography. And now with unemployment being at 3.8%, on its way down to 3.6%, I mean, at least that's what, that's what we heard about is. today, yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that I, want, I just wonder how much more sensitive people will become to new opportunities because they know that they're oh, it's incredible. a hot commodity. It's right? incredible, Erin. So. I actually did some research yeah. that compared unemployment to voluntary turnover. And if you picture an X, yeah. it is literally an almost perfect negative correlation. Oh As gosh. unemployment goes down, voluntary turnover goes up. Sure and the correlation is negative because it's an inverse correlation, right. 0.96. Oh my gosh, almost one. Almost one. Uh -huh. And almost so one one it's an incredibly high correlation. Wow. And people feel very comfortable looking for a job because it's a hot job market. Yeah. Um, there's this saying that, you know, there's a war for talent, and I like to say, well, you know, the war for talent's over, talent won. <laughs> because there's so much transparency right. of the internet. Yeah. People can, it's, it's, in fact, we heard it somebody say today, it's not people, it's not people looking for jobs, it's jobs looking for people. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. the talent won. And yes, uh -huh. there is a skills shortage because there are many different uh, industries that can't find enough people. Right. But it's, what, what are organizations doing to try to help fill those uh, gaps and, and training new people, new, and, and it's different roles are gonna be required in the future. You know, right. one of the things, one of, one of our other findings is around AI. And yes, the robots are coming, but what the robots are doing are creating as many new jobs as they're taking. Right, which interestingly, uh, you may recall in the 90s, everyone predicted that uh, jobs would go away because of regular automation, not artificial intelligence, Correct. but just you know normal computerization well, think of about, everything. And it only created more, so there well, you go. And I have a perfect example of that. Think about what happened when they put in ATMs, uh -huh. those automated yes, teller machines. Yes. Everybody predicted that banking would yeah. crash. No. And what happened? There are more bank branches today yes. 
than there were then, right. and they've had to hire people. But, but the work they're doing is not just giving out money. Right. The machine does that. Right. But they have people there who create relationships right. with their clients. Right, and can be more consultative and yes. more customer-focused. And Yeah, okay. Well, completely agree. So, so if we're, we're not going to get a reprieve on needing to find candidates, what is going to be the key? What does your data tell you is going to be the key to a successful talent acquisition uh, organization getting the talent they need. So it's not just one thing. Yeah. It's like I was saying, integrating mm -hmm. with their talent, uh, the rather talent management and with the business. Talent acquisition, everybody says, you know, has a seat at the table. It's very cliche. I actually love what I heard somebody else say about elbows on the table. Ah. Because when you've got your elbows on the table, you're yeah. in a dialogue yeah. and part of that strategic conversation. So you know, in the, in the highest, in the organizations with the highest level of talent acquisition maturity, they are considered strategic business partners. I mean, the organization knows how many people they need and talent acquisition is completely aligned with that. So your talent acquisition strategy should align with your talent strategy, which should align with your business strategy. And as a consultant, I can tell you that many organizations don't have their business strategies clearly articulated. And if they do, they might not have a talent strategy and they might not have a talent acquisition strategy. So those are very important. So there's the idea of the integration. Then there's the idea of, I think that's important, is around internal mobility. Because as unemployment goes down and voluntary turnover goes up, mm -hmm. keeping people from just, if, if people want new skills and experiences, why should they go to your competition to get them? Right. Why aren't you helping to provide a talent marketplace inside your organization? So that's two. Three, we also found that the organizations at the highest level of talent acquisition maturity are not just focusing on skills and experience when they interview people. They're also focusing on work ethic, values, and potential. And this fits really nicely with the finding on internal mobility, because mm -hmm. if you're hiring for potential, then people can have multiple roles within an organization. Right. I think about myself. I am doing a very different role today than I was when I started at Deloitte. And Thankfully, I had that opportunity. Not yeah. everybody has those types of opportunities to completely switch roles and go in a different direction. So yeah. what are organizations doing to try to make that possible? Okay. Uh, the third, uh, sorry, the fourth uh, finding that we think organizations should be focused on is creating a personalized talent journey that starts with the candidate experience and, and, and is demonstrated by the employment brand. Mm -hmm. And as we said before, you know, talent acquisition is the other side of retention and employment brand, and that employee experience sort of crosses the, that bridge. Right. But people will come to your organization if you live up to your promises, if the people in your organization believe in the organization's promises and that employer brand. Right. And yeah. then they'll stay if they find that you're keeping your word. So, so the picture I get in my mind when you talk about that is one of intentionality, you know, and that's kind of becoming a little bit more of a concept we talk about in business to be intentional about how you show up for a meeting and how you you know organize your day and I wonder if intentionality about that career journey is the thing that will help employees feel like hey yes I know why I'm coming to work today because I'm working for this thing that's two weeks exactly. down the road or two months or two years is that I, it's a great analogy about? I love it I haven't heard yeah. about that but right. it's a great analogy because just like organizations know everything there is to know about their customers right. they should know everything there is to know about their employees right. what makes them tick and then be intentional and I will tell you that if the trick to retaining employees 
was complicated, I would be a rich woman today <laughs> because that's been my area of focus for 15 years. Uh-huh. But it's not. It's mm-hmm. simple. It's really being intentional. It's treating people well. It's listening to them and yeah. responding to their concerns. And as I had said, you know, people are, their, their expectations are higher than ever. Right. We rate everything. Yeah. We'll, we'll be asked to rate this conference yeah, that we were no, at. We want. Uh, we'll be asked to rate whatever and get your car fixed, for example. So it's really important that organizations are thinking about measuring candidate experience, not just with the selected employees, yeah. but also with those candidates who weren't selected. Right. More importantly, in my mind. I, I would agree. Yes. Because if, if, if a person has a bad mm-hmm. experience with an organization, they're going to share it right. with their friends and family, and they may or may not, they probably won't, buy those services and our economy is becoming increasingly more focused on service right. and so those candidate experience are, are even more important. Right, I, I agree. Well that's Robin with insights on talent and elbows on the table. It was so fun to spend time with her and I hope you enjoyed overhearing our conversation. Please remember to rate and review our content. It will help other talent professionals find us. And be on the lookout for Episode 8 with Sylvette Sawyers, the illustrious head of talent for Startup Open Door. You're going to love her, too. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Big Fish in the Talent Pool. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.